All right, so while they're taking up the offering, I can get started. The kids can head out the back there if you guys want to head on out. And uh, we'll be praying for the Toddler's Church, Children's Church people today. I think uh, Joe was helping with Toddler. Did you help with Toddler's Church today? I think he gave some of those kids Mountain Dew or something. They were, they were full of energy. If we could just harness that energy and put it to good use, well, what could we do? Um, and uh, John, if you could fix my clicker. I'd appreciate that. Uh, when I uh, got my first job uh, out of high school, it was working for a moving company, surprise, surprise, and uh, it was here in Danville, Lincoln Land Moving and Storage. I don't know if anybody remembers that place or not. It's, uh, you guys remember that? Remember Lincoln Land? And um, I, I'm trying to remember the guy that was my boss. I don't remember his name, but he went to First Baptist. But uh, I remember there was this old truck driver there and uh, you remember the bug guards that you used to have on some of those old trucks, the plastic that would stick up? He had on the front, right across those, those first two words, is chew obfuscation. And I thought that was so funny because I'm like, what in the world does that mean? I mean, in this guy, I mean, he was reti- basically retired as a truck driver, just worked in the warehouse as an old guy. And I'm like, what does that mean? I mean, it's chew obfuscation. Uh, it literally means, now the rest of the, the statement is actually kind of a famous statement with English teachers, by the way, uh, eschew obfuscation, espouse elucidation. It means avoid being unclear, which is why it's so funny, because it's completely unclear what you're saying, but that's what it means. Uh, avoid being unclear, support being clear. And so he had that on the front of his truck, right, and it means avoid being unclear, eschew obfuscation. Um, now, I mention this today because of two reasons. One, this, for some reason, this just pops in my head every once in a while, eschew obfuscation. It's just fun to say. You should try it sometime. Eschew obfuscation. Uh, but I mention it because last week I got done with the sermon. I just felt a little bit unclear. And so I want to take just like two, three minutes here to clarify some things from last week because it ties into where we're going this week. And so, uh, just to clarify here, uh, I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was converted to Christianity on the road to Damascus. It was probably the year 34, which would have made Paul about 30 years old when he was converted to Christianity. Okay? Even though he took some times off for studying, he basically started teaching and preaching pretty much right off the bat, getting into gospel ministry. In Acts 13, he started his first missionary journey. Uh, He would have been about 43 years old at the time that he started that first missionary journey. So he'd been in the ministry for a little while already. Um, He's about 47 years old in Acts Acts 17. So right where we're at, Paul would have been about 47 years old. I'm 46, so that's real close to my age. He might have been closer to 48 by the time he left Corinth because he's there, there for a year and a half. This means that he'd been in the ministry for about 17 to 18 years when he's at Corinth, probably 17 years when he first stepped foot into Corinth. Uh, I felt when I was studying last week, I could really relate to what he was going through and where he was at. Um, He was back to working as a tent maker, a job he probably had when he was studying in Jerusalem under Gamaliel to be a, a Pharisee. So he had this trade that he was doing on the side to support himself, maybe help his family. And here he was, now 47, been doing all this ministry, and he was back in this random city of Corinth. He'd found some friends there, Priscilla and Aquila, but he was back to doing this job. It'd be like if I went today 
and was like, I need to support myself being a minister, which I do as a teacher, but what if I had to go back to being a furniture mover? And I, you know, I said, now I kind of like that some days. I tell my students all the time how much I miss it because when you're a furniture mover and you put a box somewhere, it just stays right there. It doesn't get up and walk away. It doesn't talk back to me. It just stays right there. And so I tell my kids, I miss that part sometimes. But here he is, he's back to this. And I can understand why he may have needed this word from the Lord uh, that we mentioned last week, where God says to him in a vision at night, he says um, to Paul, don't be afraid, right? Don't be afraid, go on speaking, don't stop. Go on speaking, don't be silent, I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Um, I shared that passage last week, and then I went through several scriptures, because I believe that this promise and this command is also for us. And so I went through different scriptures trying to point out, here's some other places where these things are said to us. I think this is true for us. The only clarification might be this, that no harm will come to us that will stop us from completing God's purposes. Now, Paul knew specifically that no harm was going to happen right away because of this command, but I'm telling you right now, the same is true for us. No harm, I'm saying this again, so I have this written out because I want to make sure you understand it. No harm will come to us that will stop us from completing God's purposes. This isn't a blanket command that says no harm will ever come to you once you become a Christian, and I know that you as Christians know that's true. Harm does come sometimes, doesn't it? But no harm will come to you that will stop you from completing God's purposes. So Paul gets this promise, and what does he do? He stayed another year and a half at Corinth, teaching, preaching the word of God among them. I think he needed that word from the Lord when he entered into Corinth. Remember last week I mentioned that uh, Silas and Timothy were not with him when he first got here alone. He finds some friends, some encouragement. I think God wanted to tell him, keep going. You're not done yet. Keep at it. Now, God does protect him, not in an extraordinary, miraculous way in that sense, but in a very ordinary way. We see what happens next. Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. This is right where Corinth was at. The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. And so a new ruler, a new political leader comes in, and they go, oh, we're going to use this chance. They bring up a new attack on Paul. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, um, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since this is a matter, since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them out of the tribunal. So Paul doesn't even have to say a word. Uh, Gallio boots them all out. Paul is not, you know, nothing happens to him at this point. The Jews get frustrated. Now, you may remember that their, their original synagogue leader had gotten saved earlier on. That was the story from last week, Crispus. And so what do they do? Their new synagogue leader, it says they all see Sosthenes, the new leader, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. And you get to see what kind of leader Gallio was because Gallio paid no attention to any of these. He's like, whatever. And goes on. Sothenes, I mentioned last week, I think got saved because when Paul writes 1 Corinthians, he addresses it from Paul and Sosthenes. 
I don't know if Sosthenes was saved before he was beat or afterwards, but at some point I believe that Sosthenes got saved and uh, joined Paul and followed him on some of his journeys. So what happens after this? Well, Paul stays even longer. He stays many days longer. Then he took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila go with him. Uh, uh, and I cannot pronounce this city. Sincre, I believe is how it may be pronounced. He had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. So let's give some background. We're just getting a little bit of a travel log here. And uh, so here's, here's a map, okay? So uh, Paul, there's Antioch, his home church, this most recent missionary journey that he's on. Paul left Antioch. He had gone up through here. You may, have re- you may remember he wanted to go up into this area. God prohibited him. He wanted to go down to Ephesus. God prohibited him. And he ended up in Troas. God sends him over here. We were in Thessalonica a couple weeks ago, Berea, Athens, right? Now he's in Corinth. There's this city, right? So it's just really close to this spot, and he's going to set sail. Now, we don't know anything about this uh, vow that he had made, other than it was probably a Nazarite vow. Um, uh, with a Nazarite vow, you can read about it in the Old Testament, not important to the story. Uh, there are a lot of things he would abstain from. I think possibly he was under this vow because of the fear he had been under about the persecutions he had gone through. And now that he's, God has shown himself that, hey, you're going to be safe. Nothing's going to happen to you until you've completed everything I want. I think he feels like it's okay now to, to cut the hair and uh, I'm done with this vow. Uh, it's interesting, a side note, not a, at all important to the story, but many times when they were done with the Nazarite vow, they would, they would go to Jerusalem. That would be their next stop. And they would take the hair that they'd cut off because they'd been keeping this vow. That was one of the things they would actually burn on the altar. It was the hair that they'd cut off, and they would take it to Jerusalem. And you're going to see Paul uh, is headed now to Jerusalem. I think he's fulfilled this vow, and he's upholding the right way it ought to be done, and he, he's going to head down to Jerusalem. But first, he goes to Ephesus, verse 19. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, Priscilla and Aquila. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. He wanted to go to Ephesus earlier, like I mentioned, but had been prohibited. And now here he is in Ephesus. Put the map up there again. So he sailed across here. He's in Ephesus. And his next stop is going to be all the way down here. He's going to take a long journey. So this little section is kind of just a travel log, right? Recording. This is where he went. This is what happened here. This is where he's going. They asked him to stay for a longer period in Ephesus. Um, He declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Uh, When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. That's his home church. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next to the region of Galatia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So this is starting into his next missionary journey after this. The map one more time. Uh, Notice that he sailed to Caesarea. And did you hear what it said? If you look back at that verse, it says, after spending some time there, he part, oh, I'm sorry, let me go back up. He went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. You may remember this from earlier in Acts. Um, if you were going to Jerusalem, that was always, you always went up to Jerusalem. So what probably happened at this point, Caesarea doesn't say Jerusalem by name, but when he went up to the church, he went up to Jerusalem. And then when it says he went down to Antioch, that's when he left Jerusalem, he went down. We're looking at the map going, wait, that's up. But for them, everything was down from Jerusalem. Okay? So he went to Jerusalem, I think, to offer the sacrifice, to, do, to fulfill this Nazarite vow, to do all the things he ought to do according to the, the right way of doing it, to show, I think, to, especially to those church leaders in Jerusalem, this isn't a rejection of all these other things, it's just a fulfillment, and I'm going to fulfill my vow. 
And so he heads off to Antioch. But now we've got something interesting happens at the end of chapter 18. We have a new character who's going to enter into the story. Verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Apollos. Now, if you've read through your Bible, this name might sound familiar from a few of Paul's letters. Apollos is from Alexandria. I have to do the map one more time. Alexandria is actually down here in Egypt. Alexandria was an intellectual center. In fact, it's famous because the, 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 the world's largest library at that time was in Alexandria. It was known as being an intellectual center. Alexandria had been the place of a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So that, that's a place where they had gathered together scriptures. They would translated the Bible from the, from the Hebrew and the Aramaic that it was in into the Greek language. And so it, this is right where this guy Apollos was from. Uh, Apollos coming from there and being described this way, an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, is saying something about him. This is a learned man. In fact, the word that's translated eloquent means learned, a man of letters, skilled in literature and the arts, especially versed in history, uh, skilled in speech and literally, and this is why it's translated this way, eloquent with his words. So he's eloquent not just that he can speak really well, but he was a very smart guy. Maybe we could have called him Dr. Apollos, right? This is a very intelligent man. Says he's competent in the scriptures. Some versions say mighty, simply means that he is able or capable. He could handle the scriptures very well. He knew the scriptures. So we have a smart, intelligent, learned, studied Dr. Apollos enters Ephesus. Now, who had just been in Ephesus? Not a trick question. Who had just been there? Paul, right? Just been there? Now, verse 25. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, so the gospel must have made it down to him. So he'd been instructed the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, which in the Greek, this might actually be translated being fervent in the spirit, implying maybe the, the Holy Spirit. So not just him, but the spirit of God must be working on him in some way, shape, or form. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Now, this, this is so interesting. I'm telling you, you may be reading this going, this doesn't seem that interesting at all, but I'm telling you, there's so much that's in this little statement here that just kind of gets my mind all confused because I'm going, wait a minute, notice it says, he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Well, that sounds like, hey, he's got it all together. And then it says, but then it says, though he knew only the baptism of John. I'm going to tell you right now, I have no idea what this exactly means. And it's not important for our story. There's some possibilities, I think. I think maybe he had heard about Jesus from maybe some of John's disciples, but maybe hadn't gotten the full picture after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's a possibility. I honestly, I don't know. I can't tell you the specifics. Something he was lacking Although he's teaching accurately concerning Jesus, he only knows the baptism of John. I don't think it's his ability to teach. He's a very eloquent man. And so it goes on here from this. He, he's in Ephesus. It says he began to uh, speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, now Priscilla and Aquila, what's their occupation? Somebody. 
tent makers. Just laymen in the church. Right? Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, this story, this little snippet will make no sense at all unless you're able to really place yourself into this situation. So let's, let's, let's get right down to it. Let's say, and I'm so glad my mother-in-law and father-in-law are here. I'm going to use them as an example. Okay? Let's say Dr. Charles Stanley. How dare I even... But let's say he came to Edgewood. I mean, that guy, he can talk, can't he? Anybody heard Charles Stanley speak? Whoa. Okay? Now let's say he, he, he pops in and he, he's sharing the gospel in Danville. Maybe it's this building. And he's sharing what he's learned and, and studied over the years of his, his training and his teaching, preaching. And let's say afterwards, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, uh, General Motors, construction, electrician, uh, hairdresser, nurse, right? Afterwards, they pull Dr. Charles Stanley aside. And they say, we, we, need to, we need to set some things straight. There's some things you're saying that weren't quite accurate. Now, does that help paint the picture a little bit better? I mean, Apollos learned from the big city of Alexandria, where everybody knows in this whole world at this time, Alexandria is the place of smart people. We got a couple of leather workers, that's what the tent makers would have been, that pulled him aside. That's what that says. Now, I was about ready to skim through this, and I'm like, oh, this is... But then I, the, the more I stopped and just hesitated on this verse, I thought, this is profound for a multitude of reasons. I think it's profound for Apollos, and, or I'm sorry, for Priscilla and Aquila. Can you imagine? Think about you guys going up to Dr. Apollos. I mean, it didn't say Dr. Apollos. But can you imagine going up to Apollos, this learned man from Alexandria, who is obviously eloquent with his speech, and he, they'd heard him speak, and he was probably up there, you know, using all of his big Alexandrian big words and imagine just pulling him aside. We need to help you understand Jesus a little bit better, buddy. It's also profound on Apollos' side that he allowed himself to be pulled aside, allowed himself to be taught by a couple of tent makers. You could just sit here today. I'm just going to tell you right now. I had no idea it was going to come today, but I'm telling you right now, you guys are, we're all sitting here. It, it's, this is, just displays the reality of God's grace in people's lives on both parts. It displays just the reality of what truth is really all about. And so let me put up just a couple of initial thoughts. Let me put three up here. Truth is not determined by intelligence, credentials, or eloquence. Truth is not determined by those things. Also, you don't have to be behind a pulpit to teach. I'm up here behind the pulpit to teach today. But you, clearly with Priscilla and Quill, did, did they have to be behind the pulpit to teach him? And, and notice the flip side of that. You don't have to be in front of the pulpit to learn. So you don't have to be over there to, to learn. Apollos learned. There's such a thing as truth, 
Apollos' doctorate of the University of Alexandria, which I think there was actually a University of Alexandria at this time. His learning that he had obtained. But the thing is, truth exists apart from that. And if two people disagree, let's just be honest here for just a moment. If I come up and say one thing and, and somebody else comes up and says something different, I'm just, let's just talk about what truth is for just a moment. You only have a few possibilities if we disagree. Okay? I, I mention this with my students every once in a while, especially when I'm dealing with geometry and there's lots of things that have to do with truths in there, but with religious things as well and, and big ideas of truth. Here's the thing. If we disagree, so let's say, let's go to, to an extreme. Let's say I'm up here and let's say I had a, someone from the, from the Islamic faith standing here, and we're saying something about who Jesus is. For example, I would say Jesus is God in the flesh. They would say he was just a man. Now, you have a couple options, okay? Either I'm right, or he's right. We can't both be right, but we could both be wrong. I mean, just the nature of truth. If they're saying opposing things, they can't both be actually true. Something super interesting about that. I mentioned this, Charity was talking about the, the students that came. I mentioned that idea. And just to let you know, that something that pervades our society came out right away with one of the students. Uh, the, the girl said, well, they could both be true. I've never had that happen when I brought that up before. Never. And I talked about it for just a minute. And what she was thinking of for, is from this person's perspective. And now, I wasn't using that example, but from different people's perspectives, well, they, they could both be true to them. I'm going to tell you right now. I, I don't find anything more embarrassing or humbling than when I think something is true to find out later I was wrong. You, you ever uh, walk into a room... And somebody's going. And in your head, you think they're waving at you. And so you're like, hey. And then you realize they're not waving at you at all. They're like, wait. And they're like looking at you. And they're clearly waving at somebody behind you. And so you're like, I'm just going to go on now. I, I hate being on the out of what's reality. In my classroom, kids start laughing. Always throws me off because I'm like, wait a minute, what are they laughing at? There's something happening. And I'll say, what's going on? What are you guys laughing at? What's, what's happening? Because I don't, I don't want to be on the out. I want to know what the truth is here. Did I do something? Is my fly down? Is, you know, what, what, what did I, did I say something wrong? You know, when you're doing math, you say all kinds of words wrong that come out, you know, one third can come out one third. I shouldn't say that in church. Kids like that, I've had that happen. Uh, I won't even get into some of the more embarrassing things. But it, there's this aspect that there, there's things that are true and there's things that are not true. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I want to know the things that are true. Not just true to me, but true. And so let me pop up a, an extra little point here. Truth is something that ought to be clarified. And you see that going on in this story. I think we ought to eschew obfuscation and espouse lucidation. Get rid of the unclarity. 
Priscilla and Aquila could have, when he was teaching, they could have said to themselves, well, he's teaching the things of Jesus accurately, as far as he is. Let's just ignore our differences and get along. He could have done, they could have done that, couldn't they? Well, he's teaching about Jesus. I mean, it said he was teaching about Jesus accurately. So they could have said, well, we're just, you know, we'll agree with this stuff. And this. But there's something that was worth them saying, I need to pull you aside and clarify truth. On a personal note, I grow weary because I, I, I like truth. I really do. I grow weary of Christians who are unwilling to be pulled aside and who also are not willing to pull aside. I mean, it takes both. I'm weary sometimes of Christians who are unwilling to hash out the truth. Apollos, I believe, his whole purpose in traveling is because he wanted to share the truth. That's why he went to Ephesus. We're going to see here in just a minute, he wants to go on to Corinth. He wants to spread the truth of who Jesus is. And he has the humility to be checked, fact-checked, and to adjust and to speak the truth. All of us in this room, I'm going to tell you right now, this is one of the directions we need to go with this. I'd like to think, I hope... I hope that I'm of the sort that, and that you know this, that if I'm preaching and I say something that you don't agree with, that there is an open door policy here where you can pull me aside and say, I don't know if what you said is true. I don't know if what you said is accurate. And I hope I'm of the sort that's willing to be pulled aside. I think I am. I hope I am. I've tried to be willing to hear and to adjust. There's been some big things in my life that I believed one way about the scriptures. And after reading or learning or studying, I had to go, I was wrong. I need to adjust that. There's a lot of those things that are essential that we ought to consider adjusting about ourselves, at least be willing. Let me read this next verse, and then I have one more point to throw up. Um, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, which is right where Corinth is at, that's that area, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. So they give him letters of recommendation. So when he goes to Corinth, they've got, uh, oh, hey, the, the brothers, you know, Priscilla and Aquila, and they knew, and they're sending him on. So they write, wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ that the Christ was Jesus. And so he goes on to ministry in Corinth. So let me say this. My final point here. Truth ought to unify us, not divide us. This is a tricky situation, I think, in, especially in the world that we live in. People tend to say, well, if you have what you think is true and you have what you think is true, let's just ignore that and so we can get along. And I'm saying that that is not what happens in the early church. They find unity by clarifying the truth and some people or all people adjusting. See, because either one of them is wrong or they could both be wrong, but they don't just leave it there. 
which is where so many leave it. Well, we could both be wrong, so let's just not talk about it. That's not what they did. And these tent makers in humility, and I say that carefully, humility, I think it was humility of them. It was humble of them to be willing to go out on a limb and, and to try to talk to Apollos. I think we could all appreciate the, the, the guts that would have taken to be able to say, I know what we learned, I know what the scriptures say, we're going to have to say something. I imagine Priscilla and Aquila maybe even conversing together as husband and wife going, we're going to have to say something. We don't know, but I imagine them saying, God, we're going to have to do this, maybe praying together. Because you know what it's like when you have to confront somebody. Is that easy? Some of you are like, I don't have a problem with that at all. Okay, well, you're weird. Um, <laughs> most of us, if we got to confront, we're like, I mean, I get sick to my stomach. I'm like, I'm popping Tums. I, I don't want to do it, you know? I mean, there's sometimes I'm like, I'd rather just be wrong than have to go talk to this person because it's, I just don't want to, you know? I don't know if Priscilla and Nicole were like that. I think they probably were, and I think that for them, they, they, got, they finally, and they did it, and they pulled him aside. But also Apollos, with all of his learning, willing to be taught by tent makers. The truth unified them in such a way that the ministry grew. And he sent back to Corinth where they had just come from. And they send him on. Hey, you can go now. You got, we, we're on the same page now. Go on. And we're going to write some letters of recommendations so that they'll welcome you so that you can help them. And if you know anything about the Bible, the Corinthians needed a lot of help. So he sends them on. Or they send him on. I wonder why it is that people have such a tendency to faction themselves out, to team up, to grow alliances. The church ought not to be like survivor, should it? The gospel, church, Christianity, this is not a competition that we're in. This is why I try not to pull people from other churches. You know, if somebody comes to me that they're going to another church, I'm not going to go to people and go, you should leave your church and come to ours. I'm not going to do that. Well, I'm tempted to sometimes. I keep trying to get them to switch. That's for other reasons, though. I try to encourage people who, who move to go to new churches. We've had some people that have moved a little bit farther away, and they want to keep coming here, but they just can't. And we tell them, what's more important is that you're going to church, not that you're going to church here. Paul later writes to the church in Corinth. I've mentioned this a couple times. Listen to what he says and how Apollos comes up in the conversation. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul writes, he says, It has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. There's quarreling among you, my brothers. But what I mean is that each, of you, each one of you says, I follow Paul. Can you imagine in Corinth, the ones that maybe heard Paul initially? Well, I follow Paul. And, and, or some... I follow Apollos, the new guy, right? Eloquent with his words and speech. Or I follow Cephas. That's talking about Peter. That's Peter's other name. I, well, so they're, they're getting even more spiritual. Like, we go back even before him. We, got, we follow Peter. And then the really spiritual ones. Can you, I just imagine the, the pride coming out with the last group. Well, we follow Jesus. <laughs> you just imagine this? I can see this happening. Can you see this happening in churches? I, absolutely. 
I think it happens in our, in our churches in this town. Well, I follow this. I follow this. I'm... Paul's response, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He goes on a little bit later, a couple verses later, he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom. And I don't think that's a dig at Apollos by any means. But the point being, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. But there is a tendency, especially in our media-saturated age, to follow and adhere to those great speakers. That's not what it's about. I love great speakers. In fact, I encourage you, please, please, listen to Chuck Swindoll. Listen to uh, Charles Stanley and Alistair Begg and John Piper and D.A. Carson and James McDonald. But don't neglect what God does command, which is to be part of your local church. We're not commanded to find the best speakers so we can learn the most. We're commanded to be part of a body of believers. And frankly, I'm not in a competition with all those guys anyway. If I was, they'd win. Paul, a couple chapters later in 1 Corinthians, he says, For one one says, I follow Paul, another I follow Paulus. Are you not being merely human? That's a funny way to put it. It's funny because what's he saying? We, we need to be more than just like people. Are you not being merely humans? Well, we are merely humans. What are you talking about, Paul? Isn't he calling us to something a step higher? He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but who's it really about? God who gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. I'll never forget, I remember when I was in college, I was taking a class on how to preach. Weird. Take a class on that. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, hermeneutics, right? Is that what it's called? Hermeneutics? Or homiletics? Homiletics. Yeah, the preacher. It was homiletics. That's what it was. I remember taking that, and I can remember the, the teacher. I was always amazed at this teacher because, uh, I'm just going to be honest, you get a bunch of young guys in there preaching their first sermons to a class. There were some good ones. There were some that weren't so good. I mean, I remember listening to something going like, what is... What? But here's what was amazing. This teacher, having done this for years, you'd think he'd be like, whatever. Somebody does. He would take his notes. He would go sit in the back. He would, he would put things away and he'd get out his Bible. And one of the other students, I, I, it wasn't me, one of the other students asked him one day, like, I noticed when, when we're preaching, it doesn't seem like you're really grading us. It seems like you're just listening. And this is what he said. His response, he goes, he goes, you know what? He said, I have learned it doesn't matter how great or how awful the speaker is. When somebody opens the word of God, there's a chance I might learn something. I've never forgotten that. He even gave some examples. He said there's been times where there was, you know, kid, and their, their mannerism was just horrible and their, their ability to talk and, and they're just so muttery and stumbling over all their words and, 
And he said, some of the best things I learned were from some of the points that I got out of some of those passages. So I'm going to close with this thought for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday through this week. Number one, first of all, Christians from other churches aren't our enemies. I'm not going to put this up there. Christians from other churches are not our enemies. You guys know that, right? Not a competition. Um, I'll be honest, there's some pastors I wonder if that's how they, they operate, like they're trying to win the church game. I honestly don't care. It's not a competition. Number two, if we, dis- if we disagree about something from this book, somebody's wrong. Somebody's wrong. But look at it as an opportunity to clarify the truth. Might be you, might be me. My goal, and I hope your goal, and I hope the goal of everybody that comes into this church, our goal is to find the truth. There may be some things that we get to and we go, I feel like we're close, but it's still a little confusing. Right? I mean, there's some deep things. The sovereignty of God and how that plays out. But I tell you, there's some other things we can get really clear on really fast. You don't need to be baptized to go to heaven. You're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone. Amen, Amen, right? Um, You can't lose your salvation. You didn't do anything to get it to begin with. The whole idea of you could lose it just is abhorrent to me. I can't stand it. Because it says something different about who God is and how the Holy Spirit works. Those are truths that need to be clarified when we have opportunities. So number three, don't be afraid to pull aside and clarify or to be clarified. You may pull somebody aside. Do you think you're going to clarify their truth? You may find as you begin to talk, and if both of you are using this as your foundation for truth, you may find that the person that was wrong wasn't them, but it was you. Don't be afraid, and don't be unwilling to clarify. It doesn't matter what job you have, and I hope that you know that's true with me. It doesn't matter what job you have. Tent maker, right? I don't think we have any of those anymore. But if you were, I, I invite you, encourage you. If you hear something, you go, I just don't know if that's true. Let's talk about it, right? Let's talk about it. Let, let's, let's go to this and, and, and discover. And see. Maybe it'll take us a while. It doesn't say how long Apollos and, and Aquila and Priscilla had to talk and discuss. It could have been quite a while. I, don't, I have no idea. But I know that they must have been in it for the long haul because they came to some point and he learned more accurately. He was teaching the things of Jesus accurately, but he learned, it says, more accurately after that, the things of God. And that's where I hope we can all go. I hope that you don't get to a place where you're just okay with this level, level of accuracy. But maybe you're willing to go even more clarity, even more accuracy, learn even more. I guarantee you will never get to the end of learning things about God. You never get to the point where you go, I know everything there is to know about God. You're only scratching the surface. His wonders 
are without end. I believe that one of the things we will do for all of eternity is continue to delve into the greatness of who God is and learn more and more and more about who he is. I'm going to close in prayer. And as I do, I'm going to pray that God would give us the humility as a church to, to be a kind of church that pictures an Aquila, Priscilla, Apollos type of relationship where we know that truth isn't defined by how eloquently we can say anything. The truth is defined by God. It's taught to us through his word. I'm going to pray that we'll have the humility to be clarified if we need it or the humility to reach out and say, I don't know if what you're saying is right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do want to thank you for Apollos and his willingness to be taught by a couple of tent makers. I just praise you for what you did in his life. Lord, I praise you for Aquila and Priscilla and their willingness to attempt to pull somebody like Apollos with all of his credentials aside. Lord, they did it because they knew what was true about you and they wanted others to know. And they, I thank God that they saw his ability to, to present and they said, oh, Lord, he just needs clarified in just a few things. And so they were willing to go out on a limb for the sake of the truth of the gospel, of who you are and how you operate, the role of your spirit, all of these essentials. God, I pray that you'd help us to be a church that's like that, full of people like Apollos, full of people who are like Priscilla and Aquila. Though lay, lay people in the church just work in their regular jobs, Lord, they, they're learning about who you are. And they're willing to take those roles of leadership that might simply just be to help others understand these little details they might be missing. I pray that you help none of us to grow so accustomed to the level of accuracy that we have over you. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to all strive to, to grow in godliness and to understand you more and more. God, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed.